This is Rugger Matrix America. Hello and welcome to the show, everybody. This is Alex Goff from RugbyMag.com. And Happy New Year Hope to everyone. Hope you are going to have a great New Year and hope you had a great holiday. Joined once again by Pat Clifton from RugbyMag.com and Bruce McClain from the New York Athletic Club. And guys, a Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you too. It's uh, uh, it's going to be an exciting one. I think we've got the Rugby World Cup 7 coming up. A lot of really fun, exciting stuff to talk about. New coaches and their first full year as the as the head coach of, uh, of their national teams and um, I'm excited today to talk about to talk to Stu, a guy I've never uh, met. So it'll be nice to get a fresh perspective here on uh, on rugby mag instead of just all this this New York slant all the time. Yeah, that's true. We're going on the West Coast, right, Bruce? Do you mind going on the West Coast? Oh, I don't care. I, I don't even <laughs> I don't even hear what Pat said. Um, I'm in Cape Cod, and I'd like to wish everyone a Merry Christmas. Happy New Year, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa, Happy Festivus, and whatever you're celebrating, have a lovely, lovely time doing it with your family and friends before you have to go back to the reality that is life. That is true. Well, if you're celebrating, make sure you do it responsibly and make sure you have some Horka wines on tap uh, as well. Uh, we are supported by Horka Wines from Lauer Family Wines and also from the rugby site and rugby imports and USA sevens and the LVI. And we want to thank them for all their support here on Rugga matrix America. Don't forget you can get the Rugga matrix America show on iTunes as well as RugbyMag.com, and go to Rugga matrix for the Rugga matrix international show too, which is an excellent show. And they're working on some video stuff too, which is, which is great. But first of all, we have our guest, and our guest is Stu Crone, who was the head coach of Dartmouth University, Dartmouth College, excuse me, uh, many years ago. Actually, uh, under his tutelage, he had uh, two USA Sevens captains uh, that he coached at Dartmouth, that being Kevin Witcher and Alex Magleby. Mags is obviously now the USA Sevens national team coach. Then he went on to be head coach of the Santa Monica Rugby Club, won two National Division One championships, uh, I believe, in consecutive years there and is now the director of ICEF Rugby. And this is an inner city youth program that, uh, and, and we're going to be talking to him about that uh, and some of the things that are going on with ICEF. But first of all, Stu, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. And uh, Happy New Year to everybody. Well, Happy New Year to you too, and thanks a lot. And, and we're we're got you on the show partly because... You've got a, a film coming out. So let's talk about the film just to start with. This is a film that you'll be premiering in, in a couple of weeks, uh, and, and it chronicles your ICEF tour of New Zealand. And first of all, tell, me, tell us a little bit about what ICEF is and what are the type of kids that you're working with and, and, and teaching rugby to. Well, ICEF is a, a charter school group made up of 14 different schools in South Los Angeles. And um, kindergarten through high school, uh, we have about 5,000 kids going there. And I'm one of the founding teachers from 14 years ago. And uh, 11 years ago, we started a, a rugby program, and it's been growing in the last 11 years. And um, uh, about... 
in 2006, we took our first international tour. So that's become a feature of our program. Every year we take kids um, from ISF overseas, and the tours have been getting bigger. And we've been to Hong Kong, England, last year New Zealand, Tahiti, South Africa. A few years ago we were in Washington, D.C., playing against Hyde. So that's a big part of our program. And, um, you know, seeing the kids, um, the, the main the the main purpose of ISEP is to get kids from our area into college and through college in a in a neighborhood that where the majority of the kids don't finish high school. So that's our mission and rugby fits in perfectly with that mission. So um about three years ago the rugby program has gotten so big that I'm no longer teaching and um I just run the rugby program full time, you know. That pulled you away from uh, from the men's club, is that right, or was that? Yeah, I stopped. I also stopped coaching the men's club because um, we've got seven teams playing competitively every Saturday. So we have under fourteen girls and boys, under twelve boys, under sixteen boys and girls, and under eighteen boys and girls. So basically, varsity and JV. So it's it's a full time job through the week and and also on the weekends. So I don't have time anymore to coach uh, men's rugby. I can imagine. Before I turn it over to the other guys, the 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 makeup of these teams is these are this is mostly African American kids. Is that right, or is it? Yeah, the the majority of the kids are African American, and there's a few Latino kids also, but um, the majority are African Americans and the African American community in the most part. So is that? Did you find that was a difficult sell? Because it is not traditionally uh, an African American rugby is not traditionally an African American sport. Um, it, I mean, it, it, yeah. it's not a problem if you're you're in a Tongan American community to say, "Hey, come play rugby." It's like you get everybody, but but in this community, it might be diff- a different sell. Yeah, you know, it's funny when we first started. Um, I started doing it with the the girls. Really demanded to do it as well, and at that time uh, when we started. 11 years ago, the kids were just in middle school, so we didn't have high schools at that point. And it was the girls who really spearheaded the program because they weren't so much, um, you know, entrapped by um, stereotypes of what they could or couldn't do as far as sports goes, Where, whereas the boys were like, well, we play football, we play basketball, that's what we do, and, you know, what's this rugby about? Whereas the girls were like, here's an opportunity for us to run with the ball, to tackle, to do things that we've always wanted to do. So um, they were a lot more open-minded to it. So I, I, I used the girls to drive the program. and then, uh, But there was always a group of boys playing as well. And then about six years ago um, when we were in the high school, um, some of the stars of the football team at uh, our, our flagship school is called View Park. And they're, they're a pretty successful football program now. And the kids that, that were the stars of the, of the football team were playing rugby. So all the all the other kids followed them into the rugby program. So now, um, you know, we have over 200 kids playing tackle rugby um, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And then the other thing is is that we, we introduce it to all our schools and PE programs and electives and after-school programs. We have flag rugby. Um pretty similar to play rugby USA, but we also have it in PE at all those schools. And I have a group of coaches working for me that 
that go around to all the different schools introducing the sports. So once they play, you know, everybody loves it. I mean, you know, everybody loves rugby. It's a lot of fun. So, you know, and to get the opportunity, part of our schools have um, grass fields at them. So we bus the kids to fields, to parks, to, to train and, you know, tackle, run, have fun, work as a team. And uh, once they start doing that, then they're hooked on it. So, you know, a lot of people originally were like, what is this game? Um, but now, since it's been going for a while, I think the whole community takes a lot of pride in the program. You told me about um, some of the athletes that you have you feel are, are D1 caliber, and I, and I think that you, you, know, you would have the ability to make that assessment. But the other thing is, the, the thing that strikes me more than anything is the tour and, and your use of the tour and your use of the camaraderie that you have not only internationally within the country, also within the Southern California region. Can you just tell us, like, what has rugby really done for these kids that doesn't really have a whole lot to do with the game but has to do with the types of people that are attracted to our game? You know, the funny thing about it is, is like, you know, I was just talking about stereotypes or, you know, people's, like, ideas of what they can and what they can't do. And I don't think there's there's – a group that's been more heavily stereotyped than African-Americans in America. And um, so it's sort of like this, this duality, whereas we go on tour and originally the idea and the first people that, that wanted us to do it was to, to open um, our students' eyes to, you know, the bigger world around them. But what's been incredibly ironic about traveling, not only around Southern California, but not only, excuse me, not only around the world, but even around Southern California, even playing teams in L.A., is that when people meet um, our program, it changes their minds. <laughs> you know, they're always like, oh, or they're, you know, they didn't know what this experience was, was going to be like, and they just meet this you know, awesome group of kids and, um, you know, have a great game and great social experience afterwards so that, it's sort of changing everybody's mind, breaking down stereotypes. You know, and for us, when we go and make new, you know, perceptions about the world, but also of other people that meet us, you know, whether we're traveling to New Zealand or we're traveling to San Diego or, or Orange County. So it's been, it's been great as far as, you know, that goes. But definitely for our, for our own kids, you know, it's been, it's opened their eyes to the, to the bigger world outside of, their neighborhood so that's that's really important you have to do that um you know flip flip the switch to something different to open their minds so it, it might not be just rugby and what they can do with that but it's also like you know what's going on in the world and you know and our places within the world so around us and that we it opens our, our minds to what we can possibly do with our lives you know um student so. Do, do the schools, do the administration in the school, do they recognize that? Yeah, it's a really important part of ISEF. And, um, you know, you, you can see the impact on the kids immediately when they come back home, from, you know, especially from the trips traveling abroad. The kids are way more open-minded. Um, they're really uh, more independent, um, more motivated, you know, definitely more motivated to get in, 
to college and to travel and to to see a lot more of the world and you know and, and just a new concept of you know motivation for for getting out there. So so everybody's seen the impact it's had on our kids. So um, you know everybody's behind it. It's a, it's a big part of the ICF identity as our rugby program. We're, we're known for it. Stuart, can you describe what you did in New Zealand? I, I don't even think anyone knows. This was not, you know, this wasn't taking a bunch of kids from Harvard High School in 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 uh, in L.A. and going to New Zealand. This was no, it's it a pretty good. Yeah, it was an incredible tour. Yeah, well, you know, for, we made an association with um, John Matira, who's a New Zealand Consul General um, based in Los Angeles at the time. And um, he's um, very strong within the Maori community in New Zealand. So, um, I mean, the first, they made a movie about this three-week trip. That's what the documentary is about. But we actually started in Tahiti for a couple of days, and we stayed we stayed with Polynesian communities um, in Tahiti and then on into New Zealand. So, so we stayed in Papite with a local community and a youth community center. And, um, you know, it was a real local experience there. And, and we played some games there, which were incredible. It's amazing hospitality. And our kids really bonded with these kids. But then once we got to New Zealand and we met the film crew there, we stayed in, um, in Marais on the North Island, um, one in, in Raglan. We stayed for several days and we were steeped in Maori culture and played some games, and uh, we reciprocated with our own culture. There was a lot of music and dance and steps. And um, and then we went to Turangi to a Maori school, and um, we stayed at the school for several days, and we learned um, more music, dance, um, rugby. Um, we went whitewater white rafting. Um, that's in the film. Um, and then we uh, took the bus down to Wellington and stayed there. And we were uh, fortunate, um, thanks to Bruce, to, to be connected with the Hurricanes. And we saw um, the Hurricanes play the Cheetahs in the Super 15, which was an incredible experience. That's also in the game, in the uh, film. Then we took the ferry across to the South Island onto a train and uh, took t- two days going down to... Christchurch, we stopped in the beautiful seaside town of Kaikoura, where we had some independent time. And then we went to Christchurch, which had been ravaged by the earthquake a year before. And um, what was startling in Christchurch was, I mean, you heard, we all heard about the, the earthquake in New Zealand, which came just before the, the earthquake and tsunami in Japan, which took all the attention away from New Zealand. But man, Christchurch is devastated. I mean, the the, the city right. center is still still closed off. It's like it's like a city that's been bombed, and the people are shell shocked down there. So they're you know in a in a recovery period. Not only physically the town's sort of being cleaned up and reconstructed still, but the people are are uh, you know it's had a psychological toll there. So we participated in a, in a huge rugby festival, the Christchurch Youth Rugby Festival at um, at um, Christchurch Boys College. But we were hosted by St. Bede's uh, Boys College and also by Burnside High, hosted our girls team. So we had two full 
um, 15 aside teams, boys and girls, um, 38 kids. And, um, you know, we played numerous games from Tahiti right down through New Zealand. So an amazing experience for our kids. Incredible rugby. We played our best rugby over there, honestly, and you can see that in the film. But um, you can just see the warmth of the, the interaction between our kids and the kids that we met, um, particularly in Tourangi, um, which is a small community. Um, the kids, the, the Maori youth and our kids got very close. And you know, that's been a feature of a lot of the trips that we've been on. Um, we also went and stayed in um, Philippi in South Africa the year before, and uh, which is one of the poorest townships in, uh, outside Cape Town. Also, an incredibly warm meeting between between those kids and our kids. So, I mean, you might be interested in how the, the film's called um, Red, White, Black, and Blue. And um, it's an 80-minute um, feature-length documentary um, that was produced by a professional film crew in New Zealand from, from Cloud, the, the production company is called Cloud South. They have, they've made some, some well-recognized and great films before. So um, John also introduced me to them. And I met them during the World Cup when I was down there um, researching for the film and the tour and also watching the games for the World Cup. So, you know, we made a deal, and then um, uh, James Brown was the editor and director, and he just did an incredible job piecing the stories together of um, seven kids in particular that were on the tour. We sort of see the trip and also life back in L.A. through these kids' eyes. So they also sent a crew over to Los Angeles, and they did separate interviews with um, these seven main kids um, at their homes in their community in Los Angeles. So the film chronicles us on the trip, and then we have flashbacks back to L.A. and then on the trip and back to L.A. and we sort of um, see what's going on in these kids' lives, and they've all got their own stories to tell and reveal, you know, and uh, it sort of all comes to a climax um, towards the end of the film. Um, while the tour is coming to a climax with the with the tournament in Christchurch, we also see, you know, are revealed sort of what the conflicts are in these different kids' lives, and it's 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 pretty incredible. I didn't know some of the stories that these kids had to tell. They're very intimate. Um, they were open, and um, you know it's pretty it's pretty inspiring um, what these kids go through with their own personal lives, the challenges they face, and how they confront them head on. And um, you know it's just it's it's, it's a beautiful. Um, in schools, um, um, in um, teacher professional development, um, we've shown it in people's private homes and uh, in the theater a couple times. And and every time we show it, people are laughing out loud, and they're also you know crying in their sleeves. And every time the film's finished, there's been uh, you know a full applause from the audience, but spontaneously. So it's been really well received so far. So we're hopeful that, you know, that'll continue through the film festivals that we're in, um, starting with Idlewild on January 13th. But, I, you know, there's one thing I want to say. People, you know, people ask us, you know, why, why did this film get made? Why do we do it? And, and the reason is, is that um, people have been trying to make a documentary about our program and these trips for the last few years. Different film crews have wanted to come along and sell this. And we were ra- waiting for the right opportunity. There's also been reality TV shows that have been, They've been approaching us to do it because it's quite an unusual setup that we've got 
going on with this large rugby program in the African-American community in Los Angeles. So, um, you know, we were just waiting for the right opportunity to do, you know, to show it right and, um, you know, with dignity and respect and with honesty. And um, so that's why we chose this, this particular trip to, to film. So, well, um, it's yeah. it's fascinating because you know we we talk about rugby on rugbymag.com and on Rugby Makers America and anytime anybody gets together with rugby we keep talking about how we can help rugby get better athletes spread the word things like that and it's, it's usually talking about helping rugby but most of us are involved in the sport because we see a value in the sport I mean I I think it's right. the greatest, greatest team sport in the world and I think it teaches people right. things not only. The sportsmanship aspect and the camaraderie aspect and the you know, love your opponent aspect of it, but then then also this this great cross cultural uh, part of it, which I I think is absolutely wonderful, and that's the the thing that you're able to use and say forget about winning rugby games, forget about whether and we're going to ask you, you know whether you've got some you know, tremendous talent, and, and I believe you, you've already funneled some guys out into uh, collegiate programs, things like that. Forget about right. that. Let's talk about the fact that rugby football can make these kids' lives more interesting and better and perhaps get them in a situation where, where they will continue to grow and become better and happier people. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, we were ta- I was talking about that with Bruce yesterday as we were preparing for this call. One of the biggest conflicts, you know, one of the conflicts of one of the kids on the, in the film is that he's a star football player. He's he's 16 now. He's six foot four, still growing. He ru- he runs a four six forty, and um, he's just had a phenomenal year as linebacker for the football team. And all the top colleges are already facing him, and um, uh, and he loves rugby. So he goes straight from the football team to you know rugby. And when we're in New Zealand, at that point in time, where his head was at, he was just feeling a lot of pull from football, but he was feeling a lot of enjoyment from rugby. And that's what he was talking about. Um, you know, when and I wasn't I wasn't there when he was doing these interviews. Um, the guys got them away from us so that they could you know feel they could talk openly. And that was his that's his conflict is between you know football, which is probably going to pay for his college you know, and, and what he does and what everybody around him is pressuring him to do and rugby, which is the thing that he chooses to do. And he just loves it. He's passionate about it. So, um, you know, he's going to go and he's going to go, he's going to go and play, play football in college. I mean, he's going to have to, cause it's going to pay for him to go to be there. But, um, you know, I think rugby is a big part of developing his character. And um, but for for a lot of the kids, I mean, he's not the only one. We've we've got some great athletes and guys who are stars on the football team. But you know, whenever you, it's it's a funny thing because I was asking a kid the other day. I said, "What is it that you really love about rugby?" They all say the same thing, and they talk about being a part of a team. You know, it, it just sort of creates mm-hmm. this selflessness, which is empowering. I mean, everybody. Everybody loves to feel that they're a part of a team. It makes us we're bigger. Where it makes us more than what we are, you know, alone. Everybody loves that feeling. It's an incredible feeling. I mean, if you've experienced it, it's empowering. It's something you never forget. 
And if you have like, you know, where an experience where you're on the team where you feel so good together, you guys or girls will carry that for the rest of your lives. And those are the people that we have relationships with throughout our lives. And we always recall those days. And, um, um, you know, that's what the kids experience with ICF rugby. And that's what I want them to experience. And, you know, we're going to win a few and we're going to lose a few. And, um, you know, if you, if you train hard, you'll, you'll win more than you lose, but it's, it's, our league is becoming very competitive. Um, and, uh, you know, our, we're picking up kids from multiple schools on the bus. So they end up spending more time being bussed around South LA, getting to the park than we actually do on the park training. <laughs> but to be honest, sure. they just, they love being on the bus together because the girls team and the boys team are on the buses together and they're socializing and they're singing and having a great time. And then when they get to the field, they have a great time training separately. They have a good time back on the bus and they just love hanging out with each other. So, you know, that's what we focus on. That's the real focus. So um, we're trying to win games, and we want to be as good as we can. And you know, we're going to go to Las Vegas and play sevens this year there. And I'm taking this year. We're going on tour to China. And we're going to go to Beijing, Shanghai, and Hong Kong. I'm going to be at the Hong Kong sevens, and we're going to play sevens at an international tournament there as well. And um, you know, hopefully we'll play well. We're trying to put together the best team we can, but. But when the kids go on those trips, it's not we don't bring necessarily our best athletic team. It's the best team, like character. It's our best character team that we tour with. Because there's such a, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's the big carrot with the tours. It's very hard to get on the tours now because everybody wants to go. So they have to be doing their best at school, and they have to be doing their best at rugby. But they don't have to be the have the highest grades or or be the best athlete. They just have to be the kid that's really putting their best foot forward in both of those. And that's invariably who goes on the trips. So, um, you know, it's a real carrot as far as developing character and, you know, doing the best they can at school. If they have any, any, um, you know, real respect issues, anything like that, then they're not going to travel anywhere because we can't take the chance that, that the kid's not going to behave properly or, you know, make too many bad decisions when they're, you know, on their own in Hong Kong, trying to to get to the rugby field when they're staying at a host with a host family. Well, it sounds very exciting. What we we want to know exactly how you get to uh, see this film, and then we're uh, going to take a sort of deviation from the topic a little bit. But we're going to take a break right now, right here on Rugga Matrix America. Hey everybody, this is Alex Goff from Rugga Matrix America and RugbyMag.com and we all know it takes grit and determination just to get to the edge of a rugby pitch and it takes even more courage, drive and passion to lock arms with your teammates and rise to the challenge and play in a game at Lauer Family Wines. They know that too. They have a passion for rugby and a passion for wine and that passion collides in their Hooker Wines line from Napa Valley, steeped in the tradition teamwork and heroism of the game and their drive inspires them to create wines that honor those who chase their passions in rugby and elsewhere in life get in the match and buy hooker wines online at hookerwines.com hi this is glenn thomas with the university of delaware we'll be competing this june in philadelphia at the crc's don't miss out you can check it out at usa7crc.com go delaware Okay, we're right back here on Rugga Matrix America, and we're talking with Stu Crone from the ICEF program down in Southern California. Took his uh, young players on a tour, as he does every year, and they made a film about it this time. And first of all, Stu, 
how can people see this film? Well, right now it's it's playing in film festivals, so they'll have to find out. You know, the film festivals are just coming online. So we're at uh, the Idlewild Cinema Fest in Idlewild, California, on January 13th, and we're playing at 3 p.m. And then um, we're playing um, the first weekend in February at the San Diego Black Film Festival. And then, um, you know, they'll just have to follow um, on our website. There's a film website called red, white, black, and blue movie.com. And you can see there where our film is playing. So um, it has the dates and that listed. And then we're waiting for, uh, to, to get a distribution deal. And um, we're in discussions with some different people. We've been, we've been author, offered a TV distribution deal in New Zealand. So, um, you know, we're in negotiations for that, for those right now. So, um, but we, we wanted to play a run through the film festivals and see what kind of reception it gets, um, in these, you know, in these showings first before we finalize any deals. So, um, and it's, and it's called red, white, black, and blue, red, white, the, black, and blue. Yeah. And then it's, uh, yeah, it's a real good film. Yeah. One thing I wanted to say was, um, our main, the James made the movie um, aimed at youth, so the the film is really aimed at teenagers. Although anybody can enjoy it, um, but we aimed it at, at teenagers to sort of motivate them, um, especially marginalized youth, that um, there might be something out there that they've never heard of before, like our kids had never heard of rugby, and um, we want them to take take a chance on something different, and um, that it can open up you know a whole new world to them, and not so much it doesn't have to be playing rugby it could be anything um you know but just to take them out of you know whatever if they're in a rut or they just think that they live within you know um four walls that there's a whole whole world of opportunity outside that may, they might have not have even heard of before to take a chance and get out there and do something different it's also aimed at other people to take a chance of doing something different with their own lives. And it might be working with youth and coaching youth. And it could be for our own listeners, I'm getting involved with coaching youth rugby. Um, it doesn't have to be um, inner city rugby. It can be their local developing a new youth rugby program. I mean, I know Santa Monica has got a huge youth rugby program right now, and they're just always looking for coaches. And um, you know, I'd like to encourage anybody, whether they've, they haven't been involved with rugby for a while, um, you know, you don't have to be a master coach to get out there and work with kids that uh, a lot of it, you know, based on the conversation that we've had is just role modeling and being a mentor and your, your rugby skills will probably be more useful than you think they are. And, um, there's a lot of coaches, coaching courses and people to guide you along through it, but, you know, get involved, particularly with youth, get involved with youth because you'll make a world of difference. The is there a fear uh, element, and and I don't mean you know being afraid of the the individuals, but is there a fear element about doing something like working with kids from from a background you're not used to? Uh, and and we're talking about kids in in some disadvantaged areas, things like that. Um, do you think people are kind of wary of it? And did you get do you get comments from people saying what are these kids like? Are they a, you know a huge problem? Are they you know behavioral problems, things like that? Yeah, you know that's that's a great point. There's a there's a Kiwi rugby player who's new at Santa Monica, and he has some free time, and he was going to come out on Thursdays and help coach our boys team, the high school team, and he came out um, two weeks ago Thursday, and it turned out at our park there was a hood day going on, 
So 200 gang members showed up spontaneously for Hood Day. We didn't know about it, and we immediately had to evacuate. So we had to get all, all our kids, which a lot of them are high school boys, and, um, you know, separate um, on go to another side of a, where there was a wall at the other end of the park and make phone calls and get our kids out of there as quickly as possible. So this guy who's not been here long from New Zealand, you know, sort of had to experience this kind of um, insanity. Um, but it's an eye-opener. It's something that is a reality. And um, But I think he'll come back. Um, there is that. There is that. You know, it's that unknown. It's because of the stereotype. You know, that stereotype is so strong. It's so pervasive, you know, whether it's here in America or, you know, from around the world. But once you get involved and you start working with people, then you realize people are people. And, you know, and people are instinctually good. good. Everybody wants to do better. Everybody wants to have a better life. Everybody wants to learn. Everybody wants to grow. Everybody wants to make relationships with other people. So as soon as you enter into those relationships, well, people are going to be curious about you. You know, what do you, what do you have to offer? So you come in even as a new teacher and you think you're going to be teaching kids, but you're going to end up learning more about yourself than you're probably going to teach to the kids. So it's a mutual thing. So, you know, I think that's what, that's what, you know, it's going to make our society a better place and the world a better place is by, by getting involved with, with different people outside of our normal groups. There'll be, it's normal to have fear. That's normal to have apprehension. So I, I wouldn't, you know, I, I recognize that in everybody, but, um, you know, you got to take, take that risk and, and you're going to discover a whole new thing about other people and about yourself. Well, talk about some of the, uh, the, the people, that you are coaching. Hey, I want to. I just want to. I just want to yeah. make another comment about that. Yeah. Um. You know, I, I before I came to teach at um, ISF, and I spent a year at Dartmouth, and I was grad student there, and I coached the kids at Dartmouth. And before that, um, I coached and taught in Hong Kong for eight years. So I started youth rugby programs there. That's sort of what trained me to be that I knew that I could start a program here in Los Angeles. And um, that's where I was motivated to do it. And I, I, I taught at the French International School in Hong Kong. And before that, I taught at a, a school in um, South Africa, Carmel College, that was one of the first integrated schools in South Africa. And, uh, but in Hong Kong for six years, I was at the French International School. So I was teaching um, local kids and kids from France and all around the world. And, um, you know, it was – and then when I came back home to teach here in Los Angeles – I would say there was more culture shock for me teaching in the inner city than there was for me teaching at the French International School in Hong Kong. You know, you wouldn't think it, but it was that that's how far I was removed from the experience that I have right now. So, you know, it's um and it was very difficult for me. It was hard. And it was hard for several years, but I wasn't going to give up. And that was before I even started the rugby program. So, um, you know, it's just amazing how within our own country, how far we can be removed from each other, you know. But, um, I, you know, it was the greatest step that I ever made because it's been the seminal, you know, coaching experience of my life. 
And, you know, uh, you, you were talking earlier, and Bruce mentioned this yesterday. We were talking about he, he won a national championship with a New York Athletic Club. And, um, and I've won different championships overseas and, and here with Santa Monica and with um, Southern California, um, the Griffins. We won our first title when I was coaching them. And then there's coaching, you know, the kids. And, uh, you know, I would, I would have to say uh, winning those championships are definitely, you know, special moments and special times. And it's a lot of hard work building up and doing it. And it's a great achievement and accomplishment. But the experience you have working with kids and, you know, is uh, it's way more rewarding. And it's, 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 you know, when you feel like you're – it's just more rewarding, and I think you've experienced that. I know Bruce experiences it working at Xavier and different and play rugby USA, and um, that's definitely what we experienced at ISEP. Most of the guys I have coaching at ISEP um, were players that I coached at Santa Monica. They won, I won championships with those guys, and uh, Joe Killifer, being um, he went to Dartmouth, played at Dartmouth, and he played for us. He's, he's been a big coach, and um, my partner Dave Hughes who uh, is the guy sure. that run, runs rugby, um, uh, ISF rugby with me. He was a scrum half when we won the championship. But now he's turned into a phenomenal coach and he helps me manage and run the program. And um, he introduces rugby to thousands of kids every year at all our different schools from you know, elementary school through high school. So, uh, you know, it's, for both of us, it's, it's the most rewarding rugby experience, you know. I, I think the, what it is is that you don't – it's not so much the results of what happens anywhere along the way. And, and a lot of times you forget um, maybe what happened along the way. It's the bonds that you forge with the guys over the period of time. And, and, and I, I in particular remember how our high school coach, who, who was 27 at the time, took all of us to – uh Hawaii, Salt Lake City and um and LA we actually and 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 that's what we did on our on our Easter vacation or spring break and and that's when we got exposed to Highland and and we played island communities and then when I was coaching and we were Mike Mike and Mike Tolkien and I were 22 years old and we coached with a guy who was a year older than us who was 23 and my two brothers who were freshmen and sophomores in college who were lacrosse players. And, and we went down with 30 kids to New Zealand and Australia for a month. And their parents dropped their kids off from age 14 to 18 or 17 in Kennedy Airport in June after graduation with essentially children and sent them away for a month prior to the Internet, prior to cell phones, prior to anything. Have a nice time. And, and and we got hosted. And I'll tell you right now that the closest teams at Xavier or the closest people who are at Xavier are people who have been on major tours together. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Losses had nothing to do with wins and losses. Everything was about the fact that they've been on these trips together and got to know each other. And well, it's kind of like it's kind of like epic. I mean, it's literally epic, where you go on a journey together. I mean, that's the power of touring, isn't it? Whether you're, you know, when you tour, most of us start touring as adults with rugby teams, 
but now, you know, doing it with kids, you go on this tour and you battle together. And it's not only battling the teams, but it's also just battling everything that you're going through while you're on that trip. So I think anybody who's been on a rugby tour, you know, would say the same thing. That's something, you know, you were saying before, it's just a shame because that was such an integral part of rugby. I would get, I guess that's probably the saddest thing that's lost although teams at the highest level are doing it, and you still see a few teams touring around the world, but the touring element of rugby was so pervasive through the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and it's kind of, you know, dwindled away. And, um, you know, those away. are the people that it's, we are closest with, are the people it's that been we shot and with, killed. no doubt. It hasn't yeah, dwindled it's away, a, it's been shot and killed. And, and, yeah. and, and I, you know, we had our, we had a, an all-fair discussion about the fact that high school rugby, this is, you know, let's just talk about it, is high school rugby is exploding. Yeah, we need yeah. coaches. What is being, and they're collecting dues. What's being done to help the coaches? Not, and I'm not saying, look, you don't need head coaches. You need somebody who can go out there and teach people elusive running. Just like you said, be a mentor. Teach people how to act in practice. You know what I mean? Like run a warm-up. A mother who is really good at, at you know, fitness and – you know, she could probably run a, a fantastic warm-up for 15 minutes. And, you know, the, people can add value. They don't necessarily have to be – like know everything about kickoffs and scrums and lineouts. And they may just be able to get people running up and down the field or – doing different things that, that are relatively simple skills to coach, but you need somebody to do it and organize it. But I, I you know, and I know that you do that in Southern California with your ISAF people. And I just wanted to talk a little bit about that and maybe complain a little bit too. Yeah. I mean, my feeling is, is like the dues keep going up for youth rugby. I mean, they've gone up quite a lot in the last few years. We're, we're acting as we are the development officers for rugby yet. I haven't ever had anybody from USA Rugby contact me about development. You know, if there's a coaching course or something like that, you know, that's available, you can pay for and go to, or you're demanded that your coaches go to. But otherwise, it's like, you know, everybody has to be CIPP'd or you can't be on the sideline. You know, and it's just, it's like, uh, it's it's taking away from us, but I'm not seeing anything coming back to us. There's no, there's no contact. There's no structure being built. Um, at the highest level, they're looking to create these camps, um, in junior All-American camps, which are going to be starting this year, which they're going to do regionally. But I really think that there needs to be, you know, some sort of – I don't know who the development officer is for U.S. rugby. You'd think they would have contacted me since I'm introducing it to several thousand kids a year. Um, and our, our numbers are growing as far as being CIPP'd. But um, – you know, there's no, we just sort of are all operating in a vacuum. So it seems like where there's a huge opportunity for the U.S. right now with an exploding rugby population to really develop the sport, it seems more like to me that USA Rugby sees it as an opportunity to tax a new group of people to pay dues to, you know, pay for wherever the majority of the money is being used is going to USA Rugby. But it's definitely not being used to support people like me who are running, you know, basically be in the area where, you know, they want it to be developed, where there's a lot of different, you know, people that, are, that would never be exposed to the game. 
that that's that's one complaint I do have. And you know, how's that gonna be addressed? I would love a response from USA rugby uh, you know, a contact about, well, you know, you, you pay this and this is what you get from us. But uh, you know, I'm not gonna hold my breath on that. Well, it's it's something that I talk to people at USA Rugby a lot, saying that they actually have to do a better job to tell people what what they get. But I mean, if if you look at, you look at the numbers, and you know that uh, you know USA Rugby in 2011 took in they took in 7.5 million, and 3.2 million of that was membership dues, um, and of the 7.5 million or so that they spent, uh, three point almost 3.4 million was for high performance and the men's national team. Right. Getting close to $4 million if you add in the women's national team. So it's it goes to national teams. Now, uh, some of that, certainly, you want to fund uh, your age-grade national teams. That's something that's an aspirational thing, right? I, I, you know, you, one, of, one of the attractions to this game is to tell people, you know, you, you're good enough. You can play for the United States in, like, right. three weeks, you're, you know, uh, there's, there's a, you know, there's a high school national team. Yeah, there is, and they'll, they're going to go somewhere, and it's going to be really cool. So that, that is a great thing, but, but you, but the, the thing that Bruce is talking about, and you're talking about, Stu, about, um, developing, developing coaches, or de- develop, even, even, not even developing coaches. Let's, even though Bruce mentioned that, but trying to find ways to get more people to play and to look and say, Stu Crone has an, a program that reaches kids in the inner city. And I'm thinking that there are other cities around the country where rugby is not um, as strong at the youth level. And perhaps they could learn something from you. And perhaps they could sit down and talk and get some get information from you to replicate it. Wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming. I'm certainly it's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, that's what needs to happen. And um, yeah. you know, I just don't see it happening. And um, you know, but I, I could be wrong. Or maybe I am operating in a vacuum. I don't know enough about it. But I mean, that figure that you're giving me right there, where half of the money is going towards top national teams, that's preposterous. Because they're the results at that level are pretty dismal. I mean, they're really low. Everybody knows that. So what's that money getting us? Number one. And I'm a guy that played international rugby, so I'm all about, you know, I'm all behind international rugby. But I mean, you know, I see that, I see the shape of the teams that are being, that are going out there. And I don't think that the change is happening fast enough. And I, I mean, I think that they really need to be focusing on the development of the youth rugby in America. We have the talent right here. You know, let you know. First of all, developing the game for all the right reasons for what we were just talking about. But we don't need to be combing anybody that has any grandfather or somebody could somehow not, somehow qualify to play for the USA or they've been here for three years now, so they can play for the U.S. because they have you know more experience in a skilled position where they came from. I mean, the, it needs to be, forget about that, and they need to be focusing on let's develop rugby right here in America. And we're going to go on a 10-year plan, and it's going to be focused on youth development. And then from that, they're going to find all the, talent, all the talent that they need. And it can be urban rugby or it can be suburban rugby or it can be country rugby. But that's where the resources need to be going right now. 
And I think if you polled everybody in America, you'd have a very strong, you know, that's the way people feel all, all over America. Let's develop our talent in an exploding, you know, rugby environment right here in America and develop our own game. And, you know, I would love, that's, that's what I want to see. And I'm, you know, a big part of rugby in America. And I think you guys would agree the same way. But, you know, what's going to happen, I don't know. But what I, I'm going to keep doing, that, that's going to be my focus. And, you know, some of these guys, you know, will be rising. Guys and girls will be rising to those, to those levels, however, you know, they're formatting it. But come on now, give us some support. You know, let's let's cut the dues. I mean, if there's like that many, you know, let's, let, do we have to keep raising? Stop taxing us. You know, and if you're going to tax us, you better get in contact with us. Besides just, you know, so and so hasn't paid his dues. Hey, fans, go to rugbyimports.com for all your rugby outfitting needs. Whether you're kitting out your team with our American-made jerseys, stocking up on training supplies, or just getting a new pair of boots. Rugby Imports has all you need for on the field and off. Go to RugbyImports.com. Las Vegas is the place to be February 8th through 10th as the USA 7's International Rugby Tournament returns to one of the world's most exciting cities. The top 16 National 7s teams, including your own USA Eagles, collide in Round 5 of the HSBC 7s World Series at Sam Boyd Stadium in Las Vegas. Come experience the wonderful international atmosphere and mind-blowing action up close. Then celebrate, see a show, and experience all the food, gaming, and excitement of Las Vegas. It's an international party. Go to USA7s.com for tickets and hotel information. USA 7s, February 8, 9, and 10 in 2013. Let's go. Now, now Stu, Stu, you talk about the you have the talent. Um, and, and you mentioned, uh, you know, a player who was conflicted because, he, you know, he's probably going to end up playing football, even though perhaps he enjoys rugby more. Uh, and, and we've seen that. I mean, we... we, we, we... I think, I think, Alex, can I stop you? Yeah. I think that if, if, if certain people hear the show... He may not wind up playing football. Well, okay, okay, okay. He really does love it, and and the right people hear the show, and and they may say, well, you know what? We'll give you the opportunity to play rugby and put yourself in, say, uh, a Samu Manoa, or Scott Lavala shoes. Are we are we right, talking about right. the number eight kid that looks like uh, Alden Smith running down the field in the uh, in the movie promo? Yeah, Cameron Cameron Griffin. He's a stud, you know. But, right, and, and and you've got well. I mean, the the, One the point part clip part, knows is how to pick out great athletes. The, yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> the, the 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 point being partly, you know, Nate Ebner's signing bonus is, you know, if if you took what the players being paid to play on the national sevens team are making uh, and uh, it would take them a hundred years to make that amount of money. There's a lot yeah. of money thrown around in football. We know that we're going to lose people to football. We, right. we I guess we have to accept that. The point right. I'm making though is, is are there guys that, tell me about some guys that you think, I mean, that you've, you've seen gone on to play rugby in college that have worked with you or, um, you know, what kinds of, do, do you do you think that we can get these guys playing on major colleges, major clubs, um, national team? I mean, 
tell tell me about that level of athlete. I, I mean, is, yeah, I is it realistic? I mean, we're going to see that from all of our different youth programs funneling through, no doubt. I mean, we're going to see more Americans because there's, you know, just the the level of youth rugby is rising. I mean, not only the numbers, but the competitiveness of of uh, youth rugby in Southern California is just exponentially, you know, growing. It's just much more competitive every year, and that's and that's raising the bar. I mean, that's what makes these football players want to play rugby. I mean, they might win the CIF championship, but they're going to have a heck of a time beating the Belmont Shore youth you know, rugby team. And, um, uh, you know, so we're getting these guys, and, and it's just it's just like this guy that's on this um, that's playing sevens now for the U.S. that that we saw in this video with his different tries. Right. Oh, you know, yes. Right. Colin Isles. Right. I mean, these, you know, who he played, he plays football as well for, I mean, you could take, I mean, this is something we've talked about a long time ago. You could take these, these D1 athletes that are playing college football. When you watch top level rugby, you know, that's, that's what we're looking at with, you know, so some of these guys will be playing in the NFL as well. But for the most part, I mean, if you look at the seventh circuit, you could take a U.S. team if you took a group of, of you know, USC athletes just from all over the country that aren't playing, that are not going on to play pro football. These guys would be great, great rugby players, no doubt. And they could, they could win a gold medal at the Olympics. I mean, there's, a, there's a good chance. I mean, that's the only chance we really have of qualifying for the Olympics on the men's side is if we get that level because that's basically the level of. I think they're going to play. I heard 12 teams in the Olympics. So, right. So, I mean, that's going to be tough to make the top 12. So that's yeah. the level you, you of players that we're going to have to have. It in that the UK, the UK uh, Axis won. Oh, are they going to be as one team in the Olympics? Yeah, they've got, yeah. They've got to be one team. And, and we basically have to beat Canada, but we've not been beating Canada lately. But, I mean, How about the, that one? The, How about that? Yeah. How, why can't we yeah. beat Canada? <laughs> that That's that that's mind boggling to me, you know, and I mean, and I, and I think can, Canadian rugby is fantastic. What are they doing? And, and we don't see a bunch of foreigners playing for Canada. Do we, they pretty much, no, look, that's pretty much the Canadian, they got a few, but that's the Canadian team, <laughs> you know? And that, that's something that kind of, that's kind of mind boggling, you know? It, it and, is my fault, uh, and there's a couple things about it. I mean, I, I, I happen to enjoy Canadian rugby myself, although my uh, the players at DAC don't uh, don't appreciate the fact that I appreciate their rugby as much as I do, and that they get to play them. But um, one of the things is they have high school rugby and have had it for a while. Right. It's cultural. It's se- it's seasonal. Hockey is a game that they play that. It also fitness-wise and and spatially tends to fit into rugby and right. and as well as basketball, but with the hitting component to it. And the other thing is is that Canadians aren't afraid to fail. For whatever reason, on a rugby field, they'll have a go. Yeah. Whereas American players, to me, and not all of them, and we and we obviously. You know, you, you and 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 myself and 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 other coaches around the country try to break the afraid to fail, mistake-free friend mentality to have right. a go. If you see an opportunity, take it. Like 
there's two different ways to coach. There's that way and the other. And the Canadians tend to be the have a go. You know, if you have a gap, go for it. If you see an opportunity, take it. And and I don't think that enough coaches in America coach that way. I think that a lot of them coach to win and get a result, and they don't really care how they get it. Whereas, and I, yeah, think and the, I agree. I, you know, and the, you, that, that's a good um, analogy to the hockey. You know, we were talking about basketball yesterday. I mean, rugby is that kind of game. It's a flowing game. And when Canada I played against Canada numerous times, and they they really put, their rugby is never complicated. They play pattern rugby. And they play what they see in front of them, whereas they're not. If they don't play this sort of pre-programmed, sequenced game, that's not the Canadian style of play. They play to what is in front of them, and they they generally play to a pattern, you know, versus all these set plays that they're trying to run sequentially. Yeah, and, uh, very, it's, you know, it's a very it works more successfully for them. It's a yeah. principle. They play off of principles as a. And and I think that Americans are starting to come that way. And it's funny that you were talking about the ten year plan or that Dan Payne, who was one of your former players when they when you won uh, the national all star championship with the Griffins, he always says to me, Five years from now is gonna come. So if we keep on talking about five years from now, then we better make a plan as to what we're gonna be five years from now. And and start to work backwards from it, and and get a plan to get to where we want to be, because we've already been and 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 you and I have been at this game for quite a while, especially in in the coaching levels in the in the coaching ranks. Well, five years, ten years, twelve years, and 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 in many cases, thirteen years has come and gone. And what yeah, the heck you got? That's true. And 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 you're doing great things, and 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 other. People are doing great. I, I wanted to talk before you before you leave. Oh no no no! Hold on. I, okay. So I asked him a question. I, I, but I I got to jump in on on two things here. Okay. Because okay? all right, and I got to take the both of you to task on this because first of all, Bruce, you miss a couple of major points on the Canadian thing that are pertinent to this entire discussion. Number one, Canadian high level players have been paid to play uh, for many years, and that helps them dedicate themselves to their their craft of rugby for a long time and in including not only being paid by the government but this this um model which now ICEF is is somewhat following that 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 coaches are paid to to coach youth that's been a new thing that that the american club scene didn't really do for a very long time the other thing is that there is freedom of movement within Canada between clubs. Somebody might go and play in Newfoundland for uh, a while and then go and be able to switch and go play in British Columbia. And then when they formed the Super League, you could go switch and you could go play for your Super League team. Now, Stu, you know that you were very strong about combating and being against player movement. When, when I was, I know, pushing to have player movement between Super League and Division One club. And that and, and I'm not blaming you for it. I mean just because you look you you look and say, well, you know, which is better here? Super League, Division One, what do you want? But the point is that we in America have stood in the way of a funneling up system for years. Mm-hmm. Haven't we? I mean, I, I, I think, I mean, you and I had an, have had arguments, Stu, about player movement 
within different divisions, within Super League, you say, uh, and Division One. Well, that's I because I was talking about teams that I was directly competing against where they had guys playing for their Super League team, and as soon as the Super League team was done, then they would put them in their Division One team, you know, and basically, okay, we didn't win this competition, but let's try to win this competition. <laughs> you know, let's put them in the right. D1 team, and maybe we'll win that national championship. So I don't change on that point of view, but with your point of view, what you're making, which is basically like, you know, free agency, where a guy, I do agree that a guy should be able to make, you know, what you're talking about is free agency. You're talking about the ability of somebody to make a living doing what they do. You know, so in other words, they can play and make money in Toronto playing for this club during the fall season. And in the winter, they're going to go to British Columbia because they're playing rugby there while it's snowing in Toronto. They're going to go out to BC and basically they're following the professional rugby circuit of Canada throughout the year. Right. And they're playing right. in different competitions. Those right. aren't the same teams combating. Okay. And, and, and you so, just think they're, so we're they're talking about two different, different points. They're also different so I, competitions because, because they yeah. don't have a national championship. Whereas here in America, we have a national championship. So it would be the same competition in two different regions. That's well, right. Understood. So I agree with you on that point that they, sh that players should be able to pursue, you know, whatever opportunities. And, you know, and that's what we do see guys doing that. We do see rugby guys. I mean, we see that, you know, all the time. And we see coaches doing that as well. People that are dedicated to rugby, they're trying to make as much money as they can. But, I mean, I, I totally agree with you, Alex, on that point. And I think a guy, you know, in this whole limitation, like in New Zealand, I mean, that's totally, we're going to see it, it. You know, soon we're going to see, they're not going to be able to keep guys in New Zealand and, you know, force them to play for the teams there if you want to be an all-black. We're going to see those. It's going to be like professional soccer where they're going to go to Europe or Japan or wherever they can make the most money, you know, during their prime so that sure. they can, you know, because it's a short, you're, you're just what you were talking about with Nate Ebner. It's the same thing. You're putting yourself out there. You have a limited amount of time. You can make money on it. And, um, you know, you should be able to have that right. Um, I agree with you on that, but to be able to play for, well, the Super League's gone and that was a bad model, but at that time to play for the, to the Super League and lose the Super League comp competition and then go down and play Division One, you know, for, against uh, a, a club in your same competition, you know, that wasn't fair. But anyhow, that's a, that's a moot point now, and I, I do agree with you with free agency. I guess, you know, we, we, we needed at some point to have a separate, out, separated out competition. I fully agree with Stu there. That's where the Super League went wrong. Always. Is when their players would play in competitions that they didn't belong in. It's okay to play and have a game that doesn't count or do whatever. But to sit there and go and play another competition, lose and go down, it... it I mean, it's, it was really – Luke Hume, who's an eagle for Old Blue, played a Division Three counting league match this fall. That's not right. I mean, I'm back in Boston, won Division Three national championships. I, I would venture to say that some of those players, even if it's one or two – played first-team rugby. Well, on teams that are that good, 
if, if you have one or two guys who played first team rugby, you could dominate Division three games. And yeah, if, that's I. You know, that's yeah. I'm I'm with you on that point too. And you know, if 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 we had but, a league that that was a league of B or C sides, that would be a separate issue. That's what that's what yeah. they do overseas, right? You know, you've got you play yeah, second right. grade, third grade, fourth grade, whatever. Right. And you have your own competition within the local league. You're not going for a national championship. This is play within that local, with whatever your league is, and you try to win that championship with your B team or your C team. Yeah, it's fantastic. It develops camaraderie within the club. Now, the the other thing that you guys have brought up, and both of you have, uh, well, okay, we're talking about if if we talk about um, making the game more American. Um, both Bruce and Stu, you both won championships with um, very significant overseas contributions, and I and I and I wouldn't fault you for it. I mean, you mentioned David Hughes. David Hughes is a great guy. I, mean, I believe he's from uh, the UK, and yeah. and a great player, terrific guy. And he's been. I mean, it's not like he just parachuted in. He's been here for years now, and and is involved in youth rugby, and that's wonderful. The thing is. We're always going to have overseas guys. We're always going to have, you know, English guys decide that they're had enough of the rain and they want to go to California. I don't blame yeah, them for I mean, that. Yeah, uh, no doubt. So that's how do you good. handle I mean, that? That's a good thing. I mean, it's 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 the same conversation with free agency that people should be able to, you know, fly their trade wherever they can. And I don't think that's not that's a good thing because those guys and you know invariably they get jobs like working with me, <laughs> coaching rugby for ISAF. I do pay all my coaches and, um, you know, they're not making a ton of money, but they're, they're making, you know, what I can afford, what we can afford to pay them. And we want it to be a fair compensation. But, um, uh, those guys are, you know, have their place, you know, and then you're going to have your mercenaries where a guy is just coming in and then going out and he's going to, you know, leave, have his experience. You're going to have that too. And teams want to win. So they're going to get the best guys they can get playing for them. The way you combat that is through developing youth rugby. Just, just I just want to make one more point on the Canadian thing, though, um, which is something that seems to be a no-brainer to me, is why don't we play more club rugby against Canada? You know, we have professional sports with those guys, the hockey, basketball. I mean, it's limited. Baseball it's limited, you know, where they can get teams. But rugby does not have to be that limited. It seems like we're not exploiting an opportunity because we need more higher level competition. That's what you were just alluding to, Alex, right? Why don't we, why are we not in cahoots with the Canadian rugby union and getting, you know, cross games or even within the same championship? Why isn't there a club championship between Canada and the U S every year or a final eight or that would support a super league. And I'm not talking about, the NA4, where nobody has any allegiance. I mean, it's a parochial game. The way there's allegiance is through New York Athletic Club, Old Blue, Santa Monica, you know, on that. Those that's people feel Kansas City, wherever their club is, or Milwaukee, that's where people have an allegiance. That's where you'll get people to actually go and watch them play. You'll get more people out for Chicago, you know, Chicago versus New York game than you will the Hawks versus, you know, whatever the team was, the Falcons. <laughs> nobody went to watch that because nobody felt any allegiance to that. So that's what the club 
rugby and supporting it, you know, at, at the highest level is a good thing. But it definitely needs to be against these top Canadian sides, which are fantastic clubs that they have uh, up there. Same that, thing, very strong. I'll address that a little bit. Um, I actually, we were supposed to play Ontario, who was the Canadian um, provincial champion this year. We were going to play them just prior to the November tours, and then Hurricane Sandy hit and basically flooded the Canadian hotel so they didn't have a place to go, and they flooded our field. We actually are going to play them on, on May 4th at Ontario, in Ontario playing us. We had asked them to be able to go up there and play earlier in the year in March or April, and they said they wouldn't be prepared enough. They did ask us to go to play in the Canada leg of the uh, of the Canadian-U.S. World Cup qualifier. They wanted us to be a curtain raiser. And I wrote a letter to Kieran Crowley, stayed in my house a few years ago when he had given a, a talk with Graham Murray. I had asked Canadian rugby to allow us into their Super League and maybe one or two other teams in America if, if they would consider allowing us into their provincial championship. And they said that they're not prepared to make that decision yet. They're yeah. not prepared to, to really think about it. But I it, definitely did approach them. It's, it's, a, it's a great idea. It, it, there are, unfortunately, difficulties. And I know that the Seattle Rugby Club has had all kinds of difficulties trying to get Canadian teams to actually get down, uh, go across the border. Um, I'll answer that. And, it's and, a passport issue, Alex. Yeah, it's, it's a passport issue. It's, I mean, it's also just time going across the border and the Peace Arch over at, uh, at Blaine, Washington takes forever to get through, stuff like that. So. But we're, we're. I mean, you come on. You can have Heineken. You can have Heineken Cup rugby all over Europe. They, you know, you can get Argentina into like, you know, the now into the Super Four or whatever Super Rugby, and we can't get teams from Toronto playing teams from New York. <laughs> yeah, come that's on, right. that's, that's ridiculous. Right. Yeah. This needs to be we, going we, on at the highest level. That's not a discussion we should be having. This is a discussion that at the top of. To me, it's a it's a no brainer. And it's, USA and rugby should be is, should be petitioning Canadian rugby, and the Canadian rugby should be doing the same. Although clearly they don't see the motive because you know they're doing better without us. I mean, it would benefit us, and we're their top rivals. We're we, the ones that would benefit from more interaction with them. But um, it's just a no brainer. They would benefit. They would benefit too, Stu. They would benefit massively. Um, the, the club. I, I I think that our top teams have to play their provincial teams. Our, our top teams would. Would beat their club teams, but the um we we would need to play the provincial teams. But um, I do think that we do. I I personally, and we've spoken about this quite a bit. Um, maybe not all of us. I don't think Americans should play as foreigners in Canada, and I don't think ca Canadians should play as foreigners in America. I would rather see less foreigners allowed on the roster, provided Canadians were able to play here as Americans then we would have, I think we need to foster that cross-border camaraderie, the camaraderie that we see in rugby everywhere. I think that we really need that with the Canadian people, and I think that Canadians can use it with us as well. Because we the Woodlands Exiles would just win that the Southern National Championship every year. <laughs> David Pope would fly in the entire Canadian national team to Houston and play them in the West Qualifier Circuit. 
That's what would happen if you open that floodgate. I, I don't care. <laughs> I don't either. I would actually be quite somebody. Somebody would eventually care. No, 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 no. We wouldn't. Nobody cares as long as, as long yes, as they people, do. Yes, they as, do. No, as long as people are playing within the rules of that are set down. The problem that. <laughs> Have you been involved to... in American rugby before, Bruce? That's, I have. No, people, people, I have. people would but care. People I'm are, sorry. That's just, you that's have just to, the most You have to start somewhere, but the whole point no, is you have to start somewhere. There has to be a start beyond the Canadian-U.S. game. There has to be, and or the occasional tours of UBC playing Cal Berkeley, you know, which is one of the, that's their best, that's, that's Berkeley's hardest game. Okay, let's look at it that way. That's Cal's hardest game every year is when they play UBC. Unless right? they open them to play. Everybody knows that. You know, so the, you need, it needs to go beyond that. And this is, and that's working at like at the pace of an iceberg, you know? So you have to start with something. You know, DNA four was a start in that cross, you know, at a lower level than the international competition, but we're, we're, losing, we're wasting a great resource right there. And that's, a higher level competition in Canada that we, we would be benefiting from because we could have more higher level rugby without having to send guys you know, necessarily overseas to get that higher level, you know, of competition. So, you know, it could be happening in the collegiate level as well. You know, when you start talking about collegiate rugby or definitely the collegiate rugby should be um, an inter um, Canada USA competition at the highest level, you know, but you're, you're, uh, Dartmouth plays a, an, an annual uh, season opener in Canada. Uh, involving I did McGill. that. Yeah, I took it's them up there. We play against they play against McGill and they play against Fraser and there's another team up there. Queens, we Queens played, University as well. Queens. Yeah. I mean, those are great games. Yeah. Come on, those are definitely those are definitely their hardest games in the fall. Then they go on to play the Ivy League and they win the whole thing every time. I mean, I mean at least pretty much. And yes. What's with that? The NCRC, the Northwest Collegiate Rugby Championship, had Canadian teams in its conference for a while there too, and, and I, I mean, I, I will say that it's it, that would no longer be Cal Berkeley's toughest game of the year playing UBC if they played some of the other top programs that now exist in the United States. There are some programs that have really caught up. Um, you know, it's not five or ten years ago. I mean, I, I don't think any team is going to win. But there's some programs. Come on, we can name them on a couple fingers. So. Well, Come on, name them all. Name all the programs that have caught up. Stanford? No. You know, they uh, got a pro coach, and they've got a field, and they've got all right. that. For well, how about Life? How about up. Lindenwood? How about Davenport? How about Arkansas State? All these teams are teams that, if they played Cal last year, would have at least a 50-50 shot of knocking them off. And then you add in some yeah, of the well, more that, varsity programs that are popping up, too. Yeah, it's a great thing. That's so a good, I, that is a great thing. And, the, I think, and I think that goes that, back to that, youth. Those those colleges are definitely benefiting from the, you know, recruiting from high school kids who've had, they, those colleges are all now kind of recruiting. They're not colleges that are just developing, you know, from the kids that arrived as freshmen. They've got guys going there who've had experience playing rugby. You know, that, right. that works, that call the development of college rugby in America is a direct result of the development of, uh, you know, the explosion of youth rugby in America right now. Absolutely. And you'll see as time goes on, I think that they'll feed off of each other. Um, you know, I've written it in columns, too, that more college scholarships does nothing but make parents more interested in your sport. Um, and it happened yeah. with soccer and that explosion. So it will be a big, a big yeah. cycle that will do nothing but drive us forward. But, 
You're absolutely right. I, I mean, agree. I, in Iowa, that's the that's what's just happened. I mean, Chris Draper is exploding from you know less than thirty kids playing rugby in Iowa high school, you know, playing Iowa high school rugby to 500 in just a few years has spawned a funded college rugby program that's paying a coach. So, and there was a direct result of that. So that's going to just continue to happen. And that's a great thing. And I mean, are there valid complaints to be made all across the board? Yes, but not just youth rugby, but college rugby, club rugby, every single body of rugby in the United States feels like they don't get their worth out of their dues. And the fact of the matter is that they're probably all somewhat right. But right. to act like we're not moving forward and making strides, we are. And it's greatly off the backs of guys like yourself and guys like Bruce and guys like Alex and, and all the people that coach high school and have started <laughs> and all that stuff. So whether it's in spite it's of a, it's a grassroots driven sport, there's no doubt about it. In America, it's being driven by the grass. The, the people that are benefiting financially are the people at the top. But the, the development I, is being driven from the bottom. I do know, have to it's, say, it's ironic. I do have to throw out that. I, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not defending USA rugby to the, you know, all the way here, but I will say that I know that Kurt Weaver, uh, the head guy in the high school game has made a trip here just to do nothing, made a trip to Kansas City to talk to a couple of guys in the area about getting our SBO off the ground and about getting more organized and about development in our area. And I know that the guys here, Tim Clumper is the old Eagle is the one that had to make that contact and say, Kurt, will you come down here? And, and Kurt did it. He came down and he was able to do it. Um, so it's it's not enough, but it's not like there's some really good people in that national office too. So and there are good people yeah. in some communities too. So uh, you know, Kurt. I, was, I, 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 I would say I don't think good, that's what Stuart was talking about. Yeah, I think I think Stu, I, You know, I go, I agree that there are good read people between the lines they, there. Yeah, they they need a plan. They need a plan. They need right, a, right. Uh, Right. Uh, hey, can I can I can I ask a roadmap? We... <laughs> and what's the priority? You... And then not only with that plan, there needs to be a priority. And I think that priority needs to be driven from the grassroots. You know, yes. Versus, you know, well, let's get that immediate result for that. You know, the the top driven team that you know having a great U.S. team is what's going to drive everything from beneath, and that's a mistaken idea. Well, will Carlin Isles inspire no one? I mean, that's a pretty cool story. I mean, the guy's been on the actual ESPN proper American website now, not just ESPN Scrum, over two and a half million views. I mean, that's a pretty cool thing for, I would imagine, for a kid just tooling around finding that. Um, and that, that doesn't happen without contracts. And that's somewhat of a result of the top-down model, isn't it? I'm not defending it, but I'm saying devil's advocate no, is you, an example where it could be a good thing. No, that is a good thing. I mean, I think that's what that's – I said that earlier. I think that's what should be happening at the top. I mean, I think that the guys at the top should be – and I am in agreement that they should be contracted and, um, you know, they should be paid for. And especially, you know, when you get guys at that level. And and how much is that going to inspire, you know, urban rugby? I mean, I mean, I think, you know, just looking at that, that England game versus um, New Zealand and uh, – what's his name? Tui Longi? Is that his name, Tuilangi, the center? Yeah, that's right. I mean, how much is how much is that guy going to inspire? I mean, and for England, playing center for England. I mean, how much is that going to change the rugby scene in England? It's going to change it dramatically. That is he that that game. The same thing as what this this Isles guy that you're talking about. But that game, England versus New Zealand, with Tuilangi at center for England, that guy is going to inspire so many players to you know play rugby, not only in England, but around the world of rugby. Just the same way this Isles is going to inspire a lot of kids in, in the U.S. to play rugby because he looks like, you know, 
he might look like something like what those kids are. And they can, oh, the team's not just white. <laughs> or the team's, you know, it's, it's a team that, you know, it looks like, you know, what our top athletes look like. That's what a top American athlete, you know, kind of runs like. You know, what, whatever race he is, he moves the way we're used to seeing our top guys move. The Eddie Pope. Um, it's definitely going to inspire a lot of people. Yeah, Eddie Pope, Dewan Beasley, some of those early, or, I'm sorry, Demarcus Beasley, some of those early African-American soccer players that were pretty big heroes in the U.S. soccer thing have kind of helped blow that up too because this is a, we're a much darker skinned team now, you, the U.S. national soccer team than we were 10 years ago. Yeah, and that's going to keep, and that, that's that's a trend that's probably going to keep happening. That's going to be mixed, you know, and it's going to be more mixed, and we're it's going to be better all around for everybody. I agree. All right. So it goes both ways, and I definitely agree with you there, Pat. Before the jam, can I ask one thing? Yes. Stu, you've raised about hundred and five grand. Um, it's the end of the year, so people obviously have an opportunity to donate. So that would be probably helpful. People often don't realize that their corporations will give matching funds. So if you make a if you make a donation to um, to ICEF or or ICEF Rugby or whatever, or the uh, red, white, and blue, red, white, black, and blue film, the movie, red, white, it's actually red, white, black, and blue movie.com. If you make a donation, oftentimes your company will have matching funds donations, especially if you work for a larger corporation. So can you tell us, you know, give us a little bit in terms of the finances of what you spend and what you do and how you make this happen. This doesn't happen. Uh, these endeavors are not cheap. They're not easy. And and fundraising is as important as coaching. Yeah, I mean, getting to the level that we're at, I mean, we spend over $1,000 a week just on transporting kids um, back and forth from their schools to the field. That's that's what our bus bill, that's before we go away to the game on the weekend. So once we count that, once once all the teams start kicking in, you know, we're, we're between $1,500 to $2,000 a week just on transportation because if we don't transport the kids, they're not going to get to the, they're not going to get to practice and they're not going to get to the games. So it's a big endeavor. And, um, you know, and then paying coaches and, uh, Fields, rest, dues, all those things, um, they add up. And um, so we're a self-funded program, and, um, and we're really fortunate that um, uh, Dick Reardon is the head of our board right now. He used to be the, the mayor of Los Angeles, and he, he actually played rugby for Princeton in, in like around 1950, right around that time. So... He's a big supporter of the rugby program as well as ISF schools, a big supporter of education, and especially charter school education, that whole movement. So, um, you know, he, he two weeks ago put down a matching challenge that however much money we could raise till the end of the year, um, he would match it um, for ISF rugby but also for ISF schools. So I put that out to our support group, and um, they responded in a way that was overwhelming and that I didn't really expect. And you know, to, to, up till today, we've raised 104,000. You know, within the last week and a half. Um, thank God for Mayor Reardon, Reardon, 
and thank God for the support that we get from um, different individuals, but also um, corporations support us. Um, Evolution Capital, um, which my good friend uh, Rob Santos, who I played with in Hong Kong, who worked for, and Michael Lurch, um, who played football at Princeton, who, who owns the company. They've been just great supporters of ISF Rugby for the past five years, and that's what enabled us to grow. Um, if we didn't get those funds, then we would still be at the one school and playing with like you know 40 to 50 kids. So it's enabled us to be able to reach thousands of kids with the, the flag rugby program, and then you know the 200 kids that choose to play tackle rugby. So um, you know, if you go to um, uh, www.icefrugby.com, um, my contacts on there, and um, you can contact me. And it's a tax deductible donation. And uh, Mayor Reardon is matching donations till the end of the year, but it's been it's been really overwhelming, and it's gonna that's paid for for us to be able to go on the trip. At the same time, our community, the players, um, and their families, and they also um, our goal is to raise um, 15 to 20 percent of our budget through our own community every year, and they've stepped up to the challenge. So last year, the community raised around sixty to seventy thousand dollars and um they're gonna do something similar to that this year. So um you know it's a collaborative effort. Corporations, the mayor's friends, um uh our support group. Um that that's that's really that's really great and and the the thing about the the money, the the donations, the community support, uh you know, pe- people recognize when you're helping young people, and and for while men's clubs will often get a support from a you know a local beer distributor or something like that, you don't get that same support because it's not considered, um, it's 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 not considered a the same kind of community value. So again, if you 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 but you're still it, it's interesting because. And this could be another show because I know they do something similar up at Golden Gate and, and some other places where right. you 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 can employ young rugby people who learn the game and get better at the game because they're coaching it to kids. You can employ them, at least pay them a little bit because they're helping kids. So you actually help right. you, you actually help a men's team through a youth program and if you're really devoted to a youth program and you're really involved in a youth program um and i, I mean, and I'm, I'm sure you probably do something similar i mean i know at golden gate they say you know to parents it's to be a member it's a hundred bucks or it's a hundred hours or whatever it's something like that it's you know it's you get you give us time if you can't give us money give us time and w- when we do something else but it 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 does I mean, we're talking about top down bottom up yeah, it's, you know, I raise money for Santa Monica, and it's very, very difficult for a men's team. You just sort of, you know, people that are old boys to the club will support it, um, or people who are somehow, you know, connected to the club. But, but I'm I'm getting support from all over the world for ISF Rugby, and, you know, a huge amount of it comes from Hong Kong. But um, that whole idea of getting the older players to work with younger players, and um, that's um, Bob Koretsky, um, somebody I played Maccabee Rugby with, um, uh, many years ago, he's helped support our program, and, and last year he supported, and he, I think he does it within Play Rugby as well, um, where he's donated money where you can get the older kids to to coach the younger kids, and just developing developing youth, um, older youth to become into coaching, and that they see that they're you know that they're a big part of the game um, as well. So Bob Kretzky, something somebody's pushed that. 
but it's a lot easier raising money um, for for youth rugby, especially if it's tied into schools. You know, when it's a value-based program, because people see it as something that, which is what it is, is helping to to change society, to make society better. So, and it is. So, um, yeah, it's, it's it's a different animal than if you're trying to raise money for your club. Well. Yeah, I, I think it's a huge value what you're doing, and, and and it's a huge value for the game, but it's also a huge value for these kids, and uh, I'm really excited uh, to see, uh, I, I would like to see more clubs, men's clubs and women's clubs, look toward working with young kids below high school and then up through high school and identifying need areas like you have because suddenly something could explode and we're talking about how rewarding it is. Um, and Stu, it's been really rewarding having you on the show. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate you guys having me and you guys carrying the message forward. Red, white, black, and blue movie.com is where you can find out about the ISAF film that was made of their tour to New Zealand. And uh, if you want to get more uh, information about the ICEF program, that is icefrugby.com. And you can actually, there's a link there to the movie as well. And uh, if, if you know of a, a film festival and you think maybe this will be a good thing for uh, this film to be shown, go contact them and have a look. Stu Crone from ISEF Rugby in Southern California. Thank you very much for being on Rugga Matrix America. Mm-hmm.